0: Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. As always, I'm your host, Sean DeBreeze. Thanks for tuning in. Today's a fantastic interview where I get to talk to an amazing person, Doug Coop, from Circle Alliances all the way over in America. Now, this is just a fantastic podcast because Doug works with some of the biggest and most up-and-coming food brands in America And he's on the point of scaling his brand to make it even better. And this podcast just goes into the great amount of experience this man has had in scaling businesses. So I think you're going to get a lot from it if you're in that mode. Hope you enjoy it. Pentry podcast for yet another episode. So great to have you on board. I'm your host, as always, Sean DeVries. It is fantastic. To meet my new best friend, the founder of Circle Alliances, Doug Coop. Hello, Doug. How are you? Hey, Sean. I'm Doing fantastic. Well, happy Monday to you. Well, and happy Tuesday over here in Australia. Um, absolutely fantastic to have you on board. Now, um, I I got wind of what you were doing with um, by my one of my best friends, Kim Tooby, uh, who came over and saw you. Uh, I think I think this year in 2019 um and had a chat to you about what's going on in the in the california scene especially in regards to food but do you want to give the audience just a bit of a breakdown of sort of how you started out in the hospitality industry and what circle alliance is all about absolutely so um i'm originally from
1: seattle washington Mm -hmm. um and i went to college just north of there right on the canadian border up close to Vancouver in a town called Bellingham. Okay. Um, and I graduated from, from college, from university, and then some of my friends from, from university wanted to backpack across Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have any money and uh, couldn't afford to take the trip with them for the summer. So right. I got a part-time job in addition to the full-time job I had and the part-time job. Was working for a small little company at the time that had less than a hundred stores, and the name of that company was Starbucks. <laughs> wow, how cool! Okay, so I walked into a Starbucks and asked for a job for four months to pay for my trip to Europe, and I stayed at Starbucks twenty-three years. Wow,
0: okay, isn't it amazing how things like that happen? And um, you just walk, you walk into those positions without even knowing it, and without even knowing what kind of brand that brand then becomes, um, in hindsight, it's quite amazing. It was really amazing. And, um, no one really knew who Starbucks was. I live, <clears throat> I just about
1: outside of Seattle and <clears throat> it was just growing North of Seattle and had not grown to, you know, much outside of the Pacific Northwest. And, mm-hmm. um, so, um, everyone was kind of, um, interested as to why I would pick a, a coffee shop. that was charging, A lot of money for coffee at that day yes and that was in the in the early 90s and um but it obviously turned out great and i had an opportunity to um spend a couple decades at starbucks and it was you know obviously before the ipo and Mm. um and before you know the big growth of the company and so i had an opportunity to get to meet a lot of of the executives in the early days and um, yes you know, grow with the company in lots of
0: ways over those twenty-three years. Can you, What did you? What did you start out doing at Starbucks when you when you first sort of started?
1: So I was a barista working in the stores, um, oh. just nights and weekends to pay for that trip. In addition mm-hmm. to my other full-time job, and so I started out as a part-time barista, uh-huh. doing about uh, fifteen hours a week, and um, then that led to um, a corporate position. Um, and in those days. Um, I, you know, um, they were, they were just starting out with the restaurant division. Yes. And so I was one of the, um, early reps, sales reps in the restaurant division, which, um, is the, is the division that ultimately they called branded solutions or channel development. Okay. Um, and that division, um, included, um, licensing, franchising, food service, office coffee, consumer products. Um, so it was everything that was outside the walls of of a company owned and operated Starbucks store. Yes, um, and that's the division that Starbucks um, just did a transaction with Nestle for last summer mm-hmm. um, for about seven billion
0: dollars. Yes, absolutely enormous acquisition. Um, let's go. Let's go back to those those nineties working in Starbucks and under a hundred stores. Like what? what can you remember about the systems and processes at that time um, and how they sort of, obviously you're with Starbucks for such a long time, but like how they sort of grew through, was it, is it just, it must be just unrecognizable from what it was. Yeah. You know, it, it
1: all started with, you know, a mission statement to, to be, you know, the most well-known and respected specialty coffee company in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Um, and so at those days, people really didn't know um, who the company was. And so we had a, a small goal, you know, just to have for brand awareness and to serve quality coffee outside the walls of those 75 Starbucks stores. Yes. Um, and then the mission statement and the purpose of the company gradually evolved and changed several times um, over those years. And, and now, you know, the mission statement for Starbucks is all about inspiring and nurturing the human spirit. Mm very much about um, its people isn't it really absolutely very mm.
0: a very people forward folk culture and company and brand do you have any idea about why they had such a lofty ambition from the early outset of the brand like is that is that something that was driven by uh, by the founder or or how did that sort of come about do you know
1: yeah i think howard schultz um who you know really really stewarded the company through most of its growth Mm -hmm. um had those aspirations and if you read his books i think he does a really nice job of of telling the story but he went on a trip to milan and saw the coffee bars in italy and came back and said someone should do this in america right um and you know you you if you travel around the world you see other cultures have done really great things in terms of community gathering in spaces sometimes you know in, in london maybe that's a pub yes um and other places it's a park. Yep. Um and in in Seattle that ended up
0: being a coffee shop. Yeah, it's just that meeting place for people to connect. Um I often often have a joke with some of my hospitality friends that I think I think a lot of people know their barista better than they know their family members. And I think Starbucks was probably one of the one of the starting points with that, with that connection um with the customer. Do you think Do you think that connection with the customer was ultimately what led it to be um, such an enormous brand of what it is today?
1: Yeah, lots of people have asked me similar questions in terms Mm. of what was kind of the the secret to Starbucks success. And, um, you know, I think there's many things um, about the company that um, worked in unison together to help create such an iconic brand and successful you know, business. Yes. Um, But if I think back to those early days of Starbucks, I started in 1990. And if I think back to, to that year and years after that, um, the one thing that I will say that was always really, really, you know, um, prevalent in everything we did was, was people. Yes. And how we, how we treat our people. And, you know, it was kind of a given that we were going to buy the world's best coffee, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, on top of that, it was like Howard Schultz and the other leaders that came after him that he hired, he made sure he hired leaders that had kind of that servant leadership. Yes. Um, philosophy that was all about the people that worked there and respect and dignity. And, um, you know, people want to gravitate. People want to be a part of that. People want to work in places like that. And, um, if you do that, um, then it provides opportunity and, he structured the company with benefits like you know medical and dental insurance for people who just worked part-time yes massive so thing worked, america yeah yeah which was really important to a lot of people who just wanted to work you know a few days at starbucks like i did and um, to be able to have those benefits and also stock you know they called it bean stock. so mm-hmm. you know many people were you know had stock options that that as the company grew vested and were worth a lot of money that enabled them to do things like buy houses and um, do other things that were impactful to their lives. So I I think how you treat people and how you build a culture of a company and an organization, um, I I tell lots of my clients, all my clients, that you can't invest too much in your people because it's very competitive for talent. Yes. Um, And they're the front lines of how your brand is represented in the
0: marketplace mm-hmm. so let's let's talk about circle alliances for a minute obviously you're with we have with starbucks for such a long time so you've been you've been out of that ecosystem for you know five six seven years now like how did the how did you actually come to birth circle alliances and what what does it do for the industry in the moment so i left starbucks in 2014
1: mm-hmm. I, i'd spent you know some time in europe with starbucks for three years and i'd moved back and okay. i was still with the company and I was just having an urge to do something else to spread my wings a little bit. Yep. And I did a couple things in the restaurant industry and concept development in the U.S. for a couple different concepts. and But I wasn't feeling completely fulfilled. Um, and so I decided to make a move away from a company I'd gone to. And I called a friend of mine um, who had started a really successful concept in uh, Portland, Oregon called Salt and Straw. Okay. And salt and straws and ice cream company with mm-hmm. about 19 locations mm-hmm. mostly on the west coast of the u.s and um it's about eight years old and so kim malik who's the co-founder along with her cousin tyler malik and so i called kim when i was deciding to make a transition in my career and i i, I said hey i'm making a move and i i need some <laughs> advice on what that should be yeah and after after time without any hesitation she said i've always thought you should start your own company and if if you start it today, then Salt and Straw will give you four projects. Wow.
0: <laughs> okay. That's a good
1: start. <laughs> and it was the first time in my life when yeah. she said that, that I ever thought about owning my own business. Really?
0: Wow.
1: Okay. I didn't come from a family that, that did that and my immediate family, right. like my grandparents and whatnot did and had great businesses. But, you know, um, you know, my father worked for, for a, uh, uh, the government in the Seattle area for like twenty five years and yeah. you know it just wasn't something I'd thought about doing and but my wife um had thought about it and had done it with her family because her her family has a small business. Mm-hmm. And so um you know I I was inspired to do that and um and I did it. And um it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life because it it really helped me get on a path to a place that um you know is really where I want to be and where I do feel really fulfilled Mm -hmm. um and getting a lot of
0: satisfaction and and had some success so that was just about three years ago fantastic and and what have you what have you found since you've delved into sort of so many of other people's either uh, new startups or existing businesses that you've you've gone wow i didn't realize that was a that was a thing that was happening in the in the in the industry and and that's something i can really add value to where were there a couple of things that you can sort of you see, your standouts in those in, the, in those areas, I should say.
1: Yeah. So, Circle Alliances is um, a consulting company that is focused on strategic planning and business development for emerging food and beverage brands and concepts. Yes. Um, and our purpose is to really help entrepreneurs realize their dreams. Beautiful. Um, and I've worked with twenty, twenty-one, or twenty-two brands maybe in the last three years and Mm -hmm. um, you know one of the things I've realized is you know the power of of connection Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always considered myself a people connector yes Um, and back to those values that were installed with me from Starbucks in the early 90s about the power of human connection Mm -hmm. you know I I didn't really realize until I left Starbucks and had worked at some other companies um, and then started my own consulting company, I didn't really realize that not every entrepreneur that's trying to realize their dreams
0: mm-hmm.
1: has all those connections. Yeah. Good point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I kind of just assumed because my career path and my journey yes. had been that I, you know, I had a really unique special opportunity with a company like Starbucks for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet a lot of great people and collect all these great personal and professional friends and colleagues. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now at, at Circle Alliances, I get to I get to share those and connect those entrepreneurs that are trying to realize their dreams with all of those people that I've had the opportunity to meet over the last couple of decades. And so um, that's been really, really, really satisfying for me because I truly believe as a consultant, um... You know, I think, I think there's a lot of things that a lot of people do well, but I'm not one of those consultants that thinks everything I do is yes. is 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 the best. And yes, you know, there's there's things that I'm not as as good at as others. But I always tell my clients or my prospective clients that, you know, that may not be a core area of focus for me and something that I have. Specific expertise and experience on, but I can guarantee you that I know someone who does. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that's the power in a really good consultant, Doug. I know that uh, Kim and I have tried to do the same thing with with our brand and and that kind of stuff. And I th- I think that's the important part is that you may not have every piece, but but hopefully you can you can bring every piece to their puzzle, and and that's the most important thing. What do you What do you think strategy is playing a role in hospitality venues? Um, at the moment and the reason I asked that question is because with the advent of social media sort of in the last eight to ten years a lot of hospitality brands have come onto the scene that maybe wouldn't have got the notoriety um, as before because they have a really good brand image they have a really good product that that um, that photographs extremely well videos extremely well and do great content where do you think the strategy is sitting behind these concepts In where you're working to in America specifically
1: for social media or just in general for strategy
0: just in general for strategy
1: you know I um, I think it's a great question and there's there's you know three words that I I use probably in most every conversation with a client when I'm consulting Mm -hmm. and those three words are plan prioritize and have some discipline yes Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you start with plan, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs that have an idea um, and create a product or create a brand or create a concept, you know, some of them are are, are planners. Some of them have a lot of implement, a lot of strategy, but others, that's not their core competency. Yes. Um, And I think the best leaders, and, and this was something I definitely learned from Starbucks, is that. You know, it really it really is about collecting people and building a team, and finding people that are better at some things than than you are.
0: Yes, um, most and definitely. It,
1: and I, you know, if you are not a planner, if you are not a strategy person, and you are an entrepreneur, you just happen to have had a great idea. You know, hopefully you are you are finding someone on your team, or you are finding a good consultant or a coach or something that can help build some strategy. And so, you know, starting with the plan is really really important and. I, you know, I read a really great book um, and I've used this book um, with, you know, a lot of clients and it's um, scaling up um, okay, and it's called how a few companies make it and why the rest don't. Okay. Um, and it's by a group called um, Gazelles and the, the author is Vern Harnish. Um, okay. But I highly recommend that book. It's a really easy read and, you know, it's really simple things that are in the book, but mm-hmm. the clients that I've use the structure in there, you know, the ones that have been, it's been the most successful with are the ones that, the things that are in the book are just things that they, they didn't have a starting point. Mm -hmm. They didn't know Mm -hmm. where to start with, you know, in terms of building a plan. And so I think, I think, you know, finding resources like that and connecting with people um, who can help, help you be a, you know, be as focused as possible is really important. And, you know, the prioritization that comes with, building a brand and a concept, um, and for an emerging brand and emerging company, you know, there's lots and lots of things to do. And it's so important to make sure that you're, you're prioritizing what, what you do and when you do it.
0: Um, yeah, and then, definitely. and
1: then back to that third word of discipline, you know, really being disciplined about where you put your energy because, um, you know, there's things that, that you need to say no to at times that maybe seem like a big idea and seem like, you know, will give you a lot of momentum in your business, but maybe at that particular time, it's not the right thing to do. So, I think all of that can be
0: built into a strategy, and it's super, super important. Do you think? Do you think, Doug? That um, um, obviously, we both know that that hospitality is such an emo- emotionally charged industry, um, and a lot of the time, people aren't probably thinking with their. They may be thinking with their heart more than their head, right? Do you think? that's the biggest challenge for someone who's uh, within one venue and just looking to maybe branch out that they can't sort of plan effectively themselves because they're in amongst every single part of their business. Great question.
1: Um, I I think there are certainly examples of that.
0: Mm.
1: Um, And I, you know, I think one of the things as I've worked with, these founders of these emerging brands and concepts um, is that some of them, the idea that they originally had, you know, they they're not able to flex and and maneuver and 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 go in a different direction and look at things maybe differently a few years down the line. Yes, um, and I think the 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 entrepreneurs that I'm working with that are the most successful are the ones that are really nimble. Yes. Um, and they look at they look at their business and how it changes. And I, I think as we sit here in 2019, um, I don't think it's too hard to to find countless examples of how business is changing. Mm. Um, and I, I live right in the middle of Silicon Valley, well, wow. um, mm-hmm. and the land of innovation, as many call it. Yes, and I see that every single day. Mm. Um, and so. I think, um, I think, you know, you got you have to be open to change. And I think the speed of business and the, the role of technology and, um, all the things, the mobile world we're living in. And I look at how Amazon is changing the landscape of retail in the United States right now. Most definitely. These yeah. are, these are massive changes that you have to be nimble. You have to be able to look at your business differently from month to month, quarter to quarter, year to, year to year. Yes um, and if you're not an entrepreneur who can do that, then you better better surround yourself with
0: people on your team that can yeah, totally agree do you think do you think that finance is playing a role at the moment in stopping some progression um an evolution in the hospitality industry in America because I think it's starting to bite here in Australia, and I was just curious what the landscape's like over there for you know, the economy yeah
1: you know I think um I think this is a America' is a really big country mm. um, and I, I I think it would de- it really depends on where you're at sure um, you know i most of my clients are on the west coast I do travel to uh, the East Coast a bit I was in New York all of last week um, but most, you know generally where my business is the economy is still very robust right oh that's good uh, um, and so we're seeing a lot of you know, powerful, powerful momentum in, um in food and beverage and in hospitality. But of course, you could go to other places in the United States that maybe I don't have clients or I don't travel to as much where that's not quite the case. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. But the markets, you know, I'm generally in Seattle or Portland or Los Angeles mm-hmm. every week mm-hmm. are the three markets I travel to the most outside of New York. And mm-hmm. um, those three markets, um, you know, the, the economy is really strong in all markets. I think Seattle's the fastest growing city in the United States right now.
0: Yeah. Seattle's just booming, isn't it? Really? It's not coming off. It
1: really is. No. Yeah. And Portland, you know, which is only a couple hundred miles down the road is as well. And, and then Los Angeles where I was yesterday, there's a lot going on. I mean that market as well with the 20 million people that live there and um, that uh, dynamic nature of the market. So yes. uh, I, I think there's a lot
0: of, you know, good momentum um, in, in a lot of different markets in the U.S. Do you think Doug, the reason why those areas are doing so well consistently is because they are innovative, they are positive, therefore more people want to live there and and then you know it sort of breeds positivity and breeds great connections. do you think that's why it's working?
1: That's a great question um, i think it's I think it works in different places for different reasons sure um, if I look at a market like Silicon Valley in San Francisco and Northern california mm. um, you know over the years it's it's it 's branded itself as the land of innovation, yes
0: of course and
1: the land of technology so of course, lots of people gravitate here because they want to be a part of that yes um, i'm working one of my one of my um, clients is a company um, with two two guys from France wow. they went to the London School of economics and you know, worked in Europe and then they moved to San Francisco to start a recruiting app. And, um, so they gravitated here. They, they they came here to be a part of the innovation in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. Um, so, so that's one, that's one example. I think another example, Seattle, you know, Seattle, um, has a lot going for it in terms of quality of life. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful part of the country. Um, it attracts a lot of people who want to enjoy the great outdoors with the mountains and the water, yep. um, and the proximity to, to Vancouver, British Columbia and Canada, which is a spectacular city. Yes. Um, and all the things that go with an amazing, you know, wine industry in Washington and a craft beer and seafood and, you know, et cetera. So there's lots of things that the momentum in, in Seattle, um, You know, combined with all the technology from companies like Microsoft and obviously Amazon, yes, um, and a lot of Fortune 500 companies like Boeing Mm -hmm. um, and Nordstrom and Starbucks, you know, has given that that region a a lot of momentum. If I look at thirdly, if I look at Portland, Oregon, Mm -hmm. Portland's a smaller, much smaller market than San Francisco or Silicon Valley or or Seattle. Um, but the momentum in food and beverage, specifically in Portland, is all about collaboration because the region, you know, the greater Portland area doesn't have a lot of those Fortune 500 heavyweights.
0: Yeah, of course. So, they need to lean on each other in order to get things done better.
1: Exactly. Mm. And so, you'll you find restaurateurs and um, you know people in the industry doing a lot of collaborations with brands and shops and shops and you know telling stories with different products and ice cream or Mm -hmm. you know different different types of of food and beverage products so i think i think to answer your question
0: john i think it really depends on on the region
1: Mm -hmm. fair enough
0: doug now we're seeing a resurgence of obviously the vegan industry coming through and and these different kind of meats why do you think that's all of a sudden starting to pop because vegetarians and vegans have been around for a long period of time and now it seems that people who who don't pronounced to be vegans or vegetarians are now eating these kind of substitute meats. Do you have any idea of why that's, why that's happening?
1: I would say, you know, if I look at the eight years I've been back in the U.S., I, I lived abroad in the Netherlands for three years with Starbucks mm-hmm. and then we moved back to the country. It's been a pretty remarkable shift uh, with Americans um, with, you know, two things. Um, one is just general health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And then the other is, you know, sustainability. Yes. Um, and I think Americans, those two things are, are much more top of mind than they ever were before. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, even beyond the meatless meat category, there's lots of examples in, you know, a Whole Foods grocery store mm-hmm. um, or in restaurant menus Mm -hmm. or in shopping experiences um and or in things that can be delivered or there's so many examples in america of things that have, have changed dramatically but again i think it gets back to americans are trying to a live more health and wellness friendly lifestyles yes and and b they they realize that you know we're all living on one planet there's only there's only one earth yep And um, that sustainability is, is really important. And so I think those two things, when companies like impossible burger or beyond meat or countless others that you could, you could, you could use as examples come around. um, And when they start offering, you know, compelling products um, that, you know, check the boxes for those two things that are important to Americans, I think Americans gravitate towards them. And I, you know, I was, I was driving through Manhattan on Friday, and the taxi cab stopped at an intersection um, in Manhattan. And I looked over outside, and there was a, a Dunkin' Donuts. Right. Um, and inside the Dunkin' Donuts, there was a lot of a big poster, a big sign that was marketing their um, Beyond sausage breakfast sandwich. Wow. And there was a Beyond meat, you know, breakfast sandwich at a at a Dunkin' Donuts.
0: Wow. That's incredible, isn't it?
1: And I was like, wow, Dunkin' Donuts.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Who would know who would have known that would have cared, Doug? Like that's that's Exactly. You know? I mean, if if that's not appealing to the masses,
0: yes. Then
1: then I don't know what is.
0: Yeah. Okay. That 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 definitely means for me it is mainstream. So there you go. There you go.
1: Yeah.
0: You just you just touched a tiny bit on delivery there. Like I was gonna ask you about the delivery landscape in America. It's um uh, there's a is either a hard or fast you either have a very um a very two different very very different views of what the delivery landscape here is in, in Australia you either love it as a restaurant owner or you hate it as a restaurant owner um Where is the American scene sort of sitting from talking to your clients? What are they feeling about it yeah um it's a great question it's a really timely question and this is a question
1: that um i I answer and I have discussions about all the time. Um, You know, I, I think the, I think the story is still evolving. Mm. Um, And I think there's lots of players in the marketplace and just like anything, you know, in, in business and in the markets, I think eventually there'll be a lot of consolidation. Yes. Um, And so I, but I think, I think what's not going to change is that this generation and future generations, they're used to having everything at their fingertips. Yes. And they, they have their Amazon Prime app on their phone. And if they want something delivered, they can actually get that delivered in some cases within an hour or 2 Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so I think that that's for big, big products that normally you would have gone to a big department store for. Yes. And so I think that's training people to have things at their fingertips at the snap of a finger. And I think meals um, and food and beverage are, are obviously going to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, same same example for transportation with Uber and Lyft. Yes. And and, and the momentum these have in changing the landscape of transportation. And so I think whether it be DoorDash or Postmates or Uber Eats or you can name all the different services. I think that this this consumer I don't see, I don't see that there's going to be any change to the momentum that with delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to your question about my clients and concepts um, I think a lot of people are struggling with the impact to the customer journey you know in their concept yes most definitely Um, and I think you know DoorDash is a great service for the consumer to have something brought so they could have it at their kitchen table or on their couch or in their home or wherever they're going to be but but I think you know when the the DoorDash driver with the red t-shirt walks in and there's a line of 90 people waiting <laughs> for their scoop of ice cream, mm. you know, at, at a great brand like Salt and Straw in Portland on a summer day. Yes, um, I think you have to be really, really cognizant of the impact on all those people who have been waiting patiently for a, a scoop of scoop of ice cream. Yeah, um, I think there's lots of lots of examples about that. The experience is going to change, and I think I think there'll be you'll, you're going to find. Um, a lot of brands that you're already seeing it, a lot of brands are going to have different types of concepts and different types of executions um, where, you know, you're going to just have a concept located in industrial locations outside mm. of Manhattan, someplace in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're going to roll up the door at five o'clock and it's just going to be delivery only. And they're not going to have, you know, there's no, there's not going to be, you know, seating and other components of the experience for that brand—they're just going to, from that particular location, deliver their products, dif- you know, directly to the consumer at their home. Which I think, I think is is really unique and really interesting in, t- in terms of how that chain- changes a concept.
0: Does that? Um, how do you feel about that, Doug? You know, you and me are two old people in hospitality, right? We've been around a long time and seen lots of evolution. Like, does that make you feel? excited that the hospitality industry is going to change to that degree over the next five to 10 years? Or are you, are you concerned that a lot of the hospitableness in hospitality is actually going to drop out because so much is going to move to delivery concepts?
1: You know, it's a, it's a great question. And I think the way I would answer that is, is say that, you know, I think the pendulum always swings back the other way. Yes. And so, you know, Starbucks is doing huge things with delivery um, in China and they just announced some partnerships here in the U S mm-hmm. and, you know, I've got a friend who lives in Shanghai and literally I was on the phone with her the other day and she sat down at her desk. She ordered a drink on her app at from Starbucks in Shanghai. <laughs> and, you know, literally a couple minutes later, the drink ended up at her desk in her office while wow. I was on the phone with her. Wow. And, and that's a great, example of you know if somebody you know wants something instantaneously it can be delivered you know right to them in their office or their home or whatever but at the same at the same time you could go to the new starbucks roastery in shanghai which is you know uh, you know an incredible experience that mm-hmm. starbucks has built where they're roasting coffee and showing you you know, all the different types of new innovative products that Starbucks has in the marketplace. And so that's a a great example of a brand, you know, serving their customer in both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I I think, you know, with the pendulum example I used, you know, for all of us who want to have some things at certain day parts or certain times in our lives instantaneous, you know, I think the, the food and beverage industry and the hospitality industry, when the pendulum swings back, You know, I think there's still always going to be an occasion where, you know, me and my wife or me and my wife and my son or me and a friend, you know, want to go have a a food and beverage experience. Yes. You know, on a Friday night after a long week or on a Saturday to celebrate a a birthday or an anniversary. Um, And so I think those things are always going to happen. And so, you know, I, I would be more worried if I was a brick and mortar retailer selling something that didn't have an experience associated with it that Amazon yes. all of a sudden could deliver within an hour. Most definitely. yeah. That's I'd be more concerned for those brands than I would be for food and beverage. I think the key is that you know, in that Starbucks example in China or, or wherever the example is, I think the brands that think that their experience is going to be the same in three years or five years or 10 years, um, that, that naivety um, is going to be a problem. They're going to need to understand that there's going to be changes and they need to adapt to those yeah
0: i totally agree i I think we've seen it happen in retail right over the last 10 years and and the same is going to same is going to happen in hospitality if you've got if you're if you're building your brand on mediocre or just enough um you're not going to survive because it's going to be you know all the mediocre experiences going to move to delivery so it's um be quite interesting time the next couple of years i think um i agree now doug you're doing such great things with circle alliances like what are you what are you looking forward to next you've been around for three or four years what what kind of projects are you working on now you know um i'm in my yeah i'm in my third year and i'm looking at year
1: number four and i Mm -hmm. just had this conversation with a friend actually from sydney right um who was in manhattan for a conference Mm -hmm. uh last week and so i connected with him for lunch cool um and we had this conversation, he was asking me about what's next in the evolution of, of Circle Alliances. And, um, you know, I think that the three years that I spent living abroad mm-hmm. um, for Starbucks, I built a lot of strong industry relationships and friendships. Mm-hmm. And I've had an opportunity to work with some great groups that have a, you know, one has a digital trend magazine in, in the Netherlands. Yes. Um, one, one has a concept development company um, in the Netherlands. well. Wow. Um, i'm I just got returned from Portugal on holidays with my family and met some some entrepreneurs doing some really incredible things. in fact I'm on the phone with one of them tomorrow mm-hmm. um, And so I look for circle alliances to to really gain some momentum um, internationally yes Wow um, and you know you know really do some things abroad um, and kind of leverage those relationships and the experience I had abroad to to both bring American concepts to other markets yes, um, and also bring concepts from Australia or Asia or Europe or, um, you know, South America, bring them to,
0: to the U S yes. Wow. Sounds exciting times. Maybe we'll do some work together. (laughs) We'd love that. I would absolutely love that. Let's, let's, let's plan on that.
1: Let's figure out some things that we can, we can do both for Australia and America that, uh,
0: that will be beneficial to all of us. I would love to I do that. Totally agree. Um, Doug, it's been great having a chat with you today. I thank you so much for your time. What's what's the best way that someone can find out about what you're doing? We have such so, a lot of North American listeners which are very valued to have. So what's the best way that people can find out about what you do? Yeah, I've got a I've got a
1: website and the website address is circlealliances.com. So that's the the best way to go mm-hmm. see about um, what i do what my expertise is what my focus area what my client base is beautiful they can you can send me a note through the website um or if you want to shoot
0: me off an email then my email address is doug at circle super easy and I'll, I'll link that up in the bio as well so people know uh, i've looked at your website it's incredible the the type of brands you work with so um uh, you're definitely doing a lot of things right so fantastic um doug again thank you so much for your time i appreciate it and talk to you soon
1: sean thanks so much for the opportunity keep up the great work at open pantry and hello to um, all my friends in australia awesome thanks doug thanks sean Cheers.
0: thanks so much for tuning in for another episode i hope you really enjoyed it all of doug's information is in the bio of this podcast so just have a look but He gave a great indication of where you can find him at the end of that podcast there. As always, make sure you give me some feedback on what you think of this podcast, either OpenPantryConsulting on Instagram or OpenPantryCo on Twitter. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean DeBreeze. Thanks so much for listening.